0: Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the maturation of CISA in the government's cybersecurity community.
1: It's the go-to place. It's the place that convenes all of the industry and agency executives that are needed to actually solve the problem.
0: And NIST appeals to industry to help solve some of AI's biggest challenges.
2: Thinking about things like privacy, interpretability, safety, bias... Um, it is it's a hard problem, and we really want you all to please engage with us.
0: It's Friday, June third, twenty twenty two. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now: The federal government should talk more and more often about offensive cyber operations, according to the Navy's principal cyber advisor. Christopher Cleary says discussion about offensive cyber would, quote, conceptualize the idea. Cleary says that dialogue would foster better innovation and new capabilities. The Defense Department will look at managed service providers as a possibility to offer cyber capabilities to small businesses to meet the requirements of its cybersecurity maturity model certification. The Chief of Implementation and Policy in the Office of the CIO at DOD, Stacey Busjanic, calls cyber-as-a-service a, a, quote, logical place that we're moving to. Busjanic says pilot programs are one way her office might test ways to offer that service. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The connection between identity management and cyber will be in focus at the Octagov Identity Summit 2022. Government and industry leaders will be at the conference at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City June 23rd. You can find a link to learn more and register in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Two senators from each party are asking the Office of Personnel Management and the Biden administration for details on agency back-to-office plans. A letter from Democrats Martin Heinrich and Mark Kelly and Republicans Chuck Grassley and Roger Wicker says, in part, "...we respectfully request that you take effective and safe action to transition federal agencies back to the physical workplace." Margie Graves is senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. She's former deputy federal chief information officer at the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference from ACT-IAC. She says agencies should consider workflows and disciplines when they make decisions about remote work.
1: There would be an expectation, I would think, from those who are in those disciplines that they see it happening in other arenas. Uh, And and a lot of people were skeptical about whether or not the technology itself, ironically, could support uh, the kind of structure that they needed and still get things done, but the answer is it can. Uh, and and Something as simple as electronic signatures, which many people did not implement for so long, though it was not too hard to do. Uh, had not been adopted in certain areas, but now that, um, you know, we've been through the pandemic and it kind of forced people into this uh, customer experience that had to be completely remote, uh, then it became obvious that the uh, individuals from the agencies who were actually involved in that workflow could work in that manner. So to me, that's that's kind of the bellwether. Is you, you have to you can't. It's not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. It's not one size fits all for every agency, which is why I think they've delegated it to each agency to determine what's best for them. It's not one size fits all for e- any agency. It's not one size fits all for any discipline. Uh, so we had talked earlier before uh, before we started recording about the fact that uh, from the technologist's point of view, it's it's easy uh, to code and to work with your team and to run sprints and to test and do all of these things remotely because the environments are set up that way and you can you can uh, actually execute workflows in a, in a very easy manner because it kind of grew up that way and that's the way they've always done it. For those that were paper-based or, or had um, lack of automation in, in terms of uh, either robotics to help with uh, the areas that could be uh, repeatable processes that didn't have to have a, a human judgment of, uh, you know, of moving on to the next step. Uh, this two and a half years that we've been through has accelerated the adoption of that capability. And add on to that, the the recent publication of the CX uh, executive order. And you've got a number of things coming together that are encouraging this as the way to uh, to operate in the future. And those who are are reluctant to move in that direction, I think, are going to be um, measured and effective mm-hmm. over the long term because that's the expectation of the public, uh, especially after the last two and a half years we've been through, of being able to deal with any transaction that they need to complete uh, including with the federal government
0: yeah you mentioned the CXEO and I think it's I think it's funny because for a program that covers technology as much as I cover on this program I think one would think well it talks about cyber EO all the time it talks about uh, zero trust and, all that. and that's true but I think somebody might be surprised to know that the customer experience executive order probably has as much or more influence on what the technology community is doing in the government because the cyber EO and the zero trust memo and all that jazz, that's fairly tactical, right? Mm-hmm. That's not as strategic. And the customer experience EO is very strategic, I think.
1: Yeah, you know, the customer experience EO is is um, uh, more aspirational. Yeah, um, We've been uh, at cyber for a while, and we've done a couple of turns in terms of... of um, uh, NIST publications in terms of, of approaches, and now we're on to zero trust. Uh, you know, we put CDM in place. We, we started looking at uh, the critical infrastructure sectors. We've got the exchange forums in place. So things are starting to, to happen in that realm that I would say weren't there 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, but um, just because CX has been out there quite a long time, too. Yeah. But the ability to focus on Individual um, parameters uh, through the PMA, and to uh, give them that uh, launch that is more appropriate to uh, to support the acceleration of that item, and and to keep people focused on it and to have some measures behind it. That's what we did in cyber. We're still doing it in cyber. We're just on to the next, you know, iteration, and the next iteration happens to be zero trust. Mm-hmm. But um, It's the same methodology in the sense that you you have to have to set the North Star. You have to get people to understand um, the importance of it and and why uh, we desperately need this. And then you have to start doing the demonstration products to show uh, the actual improvement and the positive impact that uh, doing this correctly. Uh, can engender. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's that's really when the magic happens. When people start to have their, they they see it and they start to uh, have their aha moments of, okay, this, this I get it now. This yeah. is good stuff. This is the way it should be. And we should keep pushing in this direction. Then you get uh, a groundswell of what I would consider to be evangelistic community um, that centers around it, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as mm-hmm. opposed to having being you know like you do need to set the policy you do need to set the North Star but you can't complete you have to have it adopted and you can't drive it consistently from the top it has to be the groundswell of, of people see what's in it for them and they want to continue it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, quick diversion on cyber and policy and North Star as a DHS alum and an OMB alum, it's got to be really gratifying to look and see what CISA is doing today. We had a FedScoop event recently with Bob Costello, the CIO yes. at CISA, and it's it's just got to be really fulfilling for you to see how that organization has matured in the transition from uh, MPPD to, uh, to CISA, not just by name, but by mission and execution.
1: Yes. And and if you think of that journey, there were several steps along the way that had to be in place uh, for that to occur. Mm -hmm. And some of those were the increasingly um, allotted authorities that had to be legislated, and that was no easy task. Uh, And then ultimately having um, uh, the organization build its muscles Uh, so that it actually executed against those authorities in that mission and started to be seen as the primary player and primary lead in that space. Uh, And that didn't occur overnight either. That was hard fought and hard won by multiple people who have moved through those jobs over the years, and and some, some, God bless them, who are still there, (laughs) um, who who have uh, really built that. Yeah. From from scratch because it it did not exist as an entity uh, when DHS was, was first stood up and it was a very different kind of of um, it was more about uh, resiliency and recovery from from um, uh, power grid disruptions and things like about it wasn't really all cyber related mm-hmm. and now it's the go to place it's the place that convenes all of the industry and agency executives that are needed to actually solve the problem and to ha- and they have a voice in uh, I think the greater global sphere um, because I know uh, we've talked to a number of, of folks over there that are you know that are working with international organizations and particularly with all of the things that we have going on in Europe right now so they're they're seen differently today and that is hard fought and hard won and Bob Costello comes from CBP uh, has seen on the ground, um, real implementation, and I always think it's better when policy people come from operations uh, because they've been there and they've done that and they know what it means to, to try to get the right policies in place to enable those folks to be successful.
0: Margie Graves, the former Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer. You can read more about CISA and about the back-to-office plans Margie and I talked about in today's show notes at TheDailyScoopPodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of The Daily Scoop Podcast. Coming on Monday's program, the State Department's Cyber Future. The Chief Information Security Officer at the State Department, Donna Bennett, is on Monday afternoon's Daily Scoop Podcast. It debuts at Fedscoop.com and wherever you get your show. The National Institute of Standards and Technologies, one of the government's leading organizations on cybersecurity standards, but NIST is staking out territory in other cutting edge technology categories too. Lori Lacasio is director of NIST. At the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference, she lists artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and advanced communication as three technologies that are vital to the US economy.
2: Cross-cutting technologies like AI that are increasingly affecting so many dimensions of our lives also raise interesting challenges. Um, Many business decisions are obviously being supported with AI now. You all have that AI incorporated into your businesses Um, And that's had significant benefits for society, for our bottom lines as well. But we've also seen some evidence that if not developed or used responsibly, uh, AI-led decision-making can result in bias, and sometimes that leads to a denial of rights. And so we're at this really, I think, interesting time in our evolution where we no longer just demand equity from each other, but we're starting to demand it from our machines. Um, so working with the community, with industry, academia, and government, NIST scientists are working to provide scalable, research-based methods to assess the risk of using AI solutions. Um, now, I remind you that NIST is not regulatory, right? So anything we do, we do in collaboration with all of you, and I invite you to collaborate, give us your opinion, and we'll put out guidelines, but these are not regulatory guidelines. Um, And the the goal here is to advance trustworthy approaches to AI that serve all people responsibly and equitably and in beneficial ways. And so right now we are in the thick of developing something called the AI risk management framework. I really want to invite you to this collaborative, consensus-driven, open and transparent process as we are developing this framework. It's It adopts at the forefront a rights-preserving approach um, to AI, putting individual rights at the forefront of development and use. But of course trustworthy AI also means that we have to have technical measurements, of course, of accuracy, robustness, explainability, all while assessing these subtle, or maybe not so subtle, socio-technical characteristics of the system and thinking about things like privacy, interpretability, safety, bias. Um, it is—it's a hard problem, and we really want you all to please engage with us, and we invite you to watch out for that. Um, and moving to quantum science, NIST. NIST has been in quantum science for a long time. Actually, we have uh, had 40 years of work in quantum science, and we have four no- Nobel laureates um, that have resulted from that work. And the reason why we're involved in quantum science is because quantum science sets fundamental limits on precision measurements. And NIST is nothing if it's not about precision measurements. So we, are, we have a rich history at the forefront of research in atomic and molecular physics and laser physics and photonics and quantum information systems. Um, and I really am proud to say that some of the early breakthroughs at NIST in timekeeping with our quantum clocks have led to breakthroughs that have led to the new quantum uh, computing, some of the new quantum computing paradigms. And so where we are today is developing the infrastructure, and by that I always mean standards and measurements or standards and technology um, needed to exploit potential in quantum. And uh, and in addition, we support the Quantum Economic Development Consortium. There was a talk on that yesterday and um, by Celia Mertzbacher, and uh, that's aim, the aim of that is really to enable and grow the quantum industry. Um, And finally, just a few comments on advanced communication technologies. NIST is a leader in research and uh, standards and testing for advanced communication technologies. Our work is really there to enable higher data rates, better connectivity, and improved accessibility. And again, we don't do it alone. We do it with a lot of other agencies, and we do that in collaboration with industry. Um, Driving the integration, for instance, of transformative technologies like AI into the advanced communications by demonstrating the effectiveness when applied of AI, when applied to spectrum sharing, and so we're working with all the important regulators in that in that field too. So, um, so two two other things that I just want to mention: uh, international standards development. And then lastly, cybersecurity, International standards development. You know, when I say international standards development, a lot of times people just, that's when they start looking at their phones or falling asleep. Um, I think people tune out because they think it's boring work. And um, I'm not saying it can't be boring, but anyway, generally speaking, standards are set by a combination of private industry and international industry industry associations. And the work can be very technical technically difficult. It can be technically tedious sometimes. I've done a lot of it. But it also requires an interesting uh, amount of skill, uh, negotiation and and diplomacy. Really international diplomacy to emerge with standards that represent U.S. technical prowess. And through the last several decades, we've enjoyed the leadership in international standards development. The U.S., not this. Um, And that's been favorable to the U.S. stakeholders while ensuring open access to global markets. And the U.S. economy has benefited tremendously from market power from the adoption of these broad standards. But in recent years, actually China laid the gauntlet down and they, they have this new standards policy. It's it's a uh, standard strategy, it's uh, China Standards 2035. And in it, it calls for increased participation and leadership by, by Chinese companies and sets the desire, clearly states their desire that they are to be, by 2035, the international global standard in all major critical and emerging industry areas, um, leading to market dominance. And so I state that because if you are aware or not aware, I just think it's important to remember that the US is there for a reason. We have incredible, we are at the forefront for a reason. We've had incredible innovations that need to be represented in the international scene. And just please stay with us and stay fully engaged. And I know you know how important that is to your market and to promoting our tech solutions globally and, and, um, and working with, with various trade groups. So my role at NIST is really to facilitate strong interagency coordination And we will continue to do our part, and I just ask industry to continue to be at the table. Um, So finally, cybersecurity. So I can't leave this group without talking about cybersecurity. I know that's where you probably know Nest is cybersecurity. And um, it's a critical moment to improve domestic cybersecurity and bolster our national our, our, our national resilience. And for 50 years, NIST has been in the cybersecurity business, first in research, and then putting out technical guidance in, on, on uh, cybersecurity and privacy, uh, including our cybersecurity framework, which I'm sure a lot of you know about. It's been adopted widely across the US, but it's also been adopted globally uh, again, it's voluntary, and uh, it's recently been translated into Ukrainian as trying to support um, their robustness in cybersecurity against recent attacks. So recently, uh, also NIST call, was called upon to address the vulnerabilities that were exposed in solar winds. And so we just put out additional guidelines to secure our software supply chains that, that you can find that on the NIST web. Um, and then finally, we were called to action very recently in the President's National Security um, Memorandum, NSM-10, if you're keeping track. And um, basically, they called on NIST to really help try to protect from the future... Uh, quantum threat, or the threat of quantum computers against existing encryption methods, there was a great talk on that yesterday, and i 'll call out my colleague Bill there in the audience, but we 're committed to working with, with stakeholders sorry about that to advance adoption of um, quantum resistant cryptography, and you should see some announcements on that from NIST very soon and so before concluding, I have one more thing to say, and that is um, I wanted to acknowledge the importance of diversity in our tech workforce. Uh, it's vital to building truly innovative technologies in the 21st century economy. And if we exclude those who are, who are, have been left behind for so long and are too often left behind, we really risk underutilizing the human capital that makes the United States uh, an amazing global leader in emerging technology areas. So inclusive growth makes for competitive, competitive innovation and economic might, but it's the right thing to do because having diverse perspectives opens our eyes to new challenges and opportunities. So um, this, these challenges, you know, they're, they require all of government and working very closely with the private sector, pr- public-private partnerships, It's where it's at today. Um, These are hard problems we have to do together. And for NIST, I hope you can see that we really wouldn't have it any other way.
0: Lori Lacasio, the director of NIST. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like The Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back Monday afternoon with the CISO at the State Department, Donna Bennett. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.